Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast. We're here to provide you and your team with the resources, tools, and content to achieve your greatest potential. For those interested in additional resources or services, such as the weekly planners, online planners for Chrome or Outlook, keynotes, live training, coaching, or certification, you can visit our website at becomingyourbest.com. Now, when you listen to an episode that resonates with you, we invite you to share it with your family, friends, and team members so that they can experience the same type of motivation and results in their lives. Also, if you haven't already subscribed, please hit the subscribe button. It works on Apple, Stitcher, Google, or whatever platform you're using so that you can get a new podcast reminder each week. Now sit back, let's get started, and we hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to all of our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners, wherever you may be in the world today. This is your host, Steve Schallenberger, and I am so excited. We have a special guest with us today. She helps corporate executives lead and succeed at transformational change, and she is an executive coach and strategic change consultant specializing in helping mid to senior level leaders remain relevant in today's constantly changing business environment. So welcome, Julie Noonan. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate your having me. Oh, we're delighted to have you. And before we get started, I'd like to tell you just a couple of more things about Julie. She believes that change is the new norm, and of course it is. <laughs> and to leave a strong legacy, leaders must reconcile their personal and professional values with today's norms and further engage with the new generations to both mentor and learn from them. And I'm excited to talk about this. Julie talks about not four, but five generations in the workplace. And so uh, we're going to have the opportunity to think about what that means, what's the impact, and certainly that's a big change. But to get us going, Julie, please tell us about your background and including any turning points in your life that's had a significant impact on you and has it had an impact on what you're doing today. Well, and interestingly enough, I started out as an English major. <laughs> so a lot of people ask me, well, what does that have to do with change management? Or in my early career, I was an instructional designer and trainer. I kind of fell into uh, the corporate world, into training and leadership development and that sort of thing. And it took me quite a while to determine why I absolutely fell in love with change management and organizational development. And one of the things I realized, and this was one of the turning points in my career, is when I realized that the study of English literature is really the study of humans in a system under stress. And what I loved about English literature was actually taking a look at and studying an ecosystem of human behavior. And how human behavior morphs and changes based on motivation, based on the situations that were occurring around the happenstance or semi-happenstance that happens. And I was looking around in the different organizations in which I was working, and I would kind of intuitively see patterns. 
I would intuitively predict outcomes. And that was when I first was introduced to change management and understood that it really, really brought a lot of joy to me to be able to get in and help people really embrace things that were changing and actually contribute to those changes so that it wasn't a big deal, that they could be productive throughout the change experience. So that was probably my first turning point. The second was when I was laid off at 55 and hit ageism right in my, in its face. And the third time was when I was 57 and got laid off again and decided, okay, now I've about had this whole corporate, you know, consulting situation, tired of other people being in charge of my life. And I'm going to go do this for myself. And that's when I started my own company. Okay, so how's it been? Tell us about that. Oh, my goodness. I kick myself every time I think, why did I not do this to begin with? I definitely learned a lot during my career working for very large companies, very large consultancies, and and middle-sized consultancies. I've had the pleasure of working with some of the biggest and smallest companies in the world. So I... I'm very privileged to have had that experience and have met tons and tons of people, lots of exposure to a lot of different things that I wouldn't have had otherwise. But man, working for myself, <laughs> love working for myself. All righty. Well, that's great. Well, talk about change. Well, if you get laid off at 55, that's a change, right? We're going to talk about all that and what that means. But I can't tell you how many people I've met, very successful individuals and leaders that were either laid off or fired, terminated. And it was such a wake-up call and their very best work was after that. Absolutely. It really lights a fire. It lights a fire. It almost wakes you up again. One of the things that I personally experienced was how burnout I kind of was. Not that I wasn't enjoying what I was doing, but it seemed that I had gotten to the point that I had done it so long that I was almost on autopilot. And that's a scary place to be. That's a scary place for anyone to find themselves in. I was almost to that point where... I was, quote unquote, set in my ways. That right there is one of the first red flags that I counsel my clients against. As soon as you start feeling like you can't remain open to new ideas, that you automatically shut down any new idea because it comes from a a younger person or it's brand new, you know, and you're, you're not at least sitting and listening for what might be a nugget of value that you can get out of it, you are likely stuck in your ways. And when you get stuck in your ways, that's when you probably need to seek something new, seek something to wake wake yourself up, because that means you're probably not learning. And when you stop learning, you die. (laughs) Yeah, I'll say that is so true. And I'm glad you mentioned that as a red flag. We need to kind of be introspective and examine ourselves and look for those red flags, becoming impatient with others, 
not listening, thinking we pretty well got it all dialed in. Those are scary, scary things because the world will leave you in the dust. (laughs) Absolutely. And the other thing is it's okay. It's okay to feel afraid. It's okay to have a younger person. I have two daughters who are, you know, in their late 20s and they'll come and we'll be having a conversation. They'll mention something like a piece of technology or a new thing in popular culture. And I'll say, well, what is that? And they'll say, you don't know about whatever it is. And I'll say, no, tell me about it. And it's okay for me to feel like, okay, well, that one passed me by, but it's not a big deal. Just tell me about it. It's a little harder to do in a corporation when you're supposed to be the leader. So there are ways that within a corporation, when you are a senior leader, to surround yourself with people that you can continue to learn from without feeling threatened by that. Yeah. And I love your approach to that, Julie. It applies not only to us as individuals, but certainly as a leader of a any size organization to be vulnerable and say, you know, I'm not sure I get that one. Can you help me understand it better? It's okay. I mean, but if you're doing that every day, uh, you're not going to be left in the dust. I mean, you know, you're going to be staying out there because you're curious and inquisitive and trying to understand people and things. Yeah. Well, I love this because it helps mediate a little bit and mitigate change. And well, let's just talk about this, dive right into it, because you've been just talking about some of these differences. As the last of the boomers, meaning individuals born before or between 1946 and 1964, (laughs) prepare to leave the workforce, what specific challenges are they facing? And how are they overcoming these kind of challenges? And and I, I'm in that, but I'm like way in the workforce. I love working. I'm just not ready to retire. Speaking of, what you just said is probably the number one thing that we're struggling with is, number one, there is no such thing as retirement anymore. Our generation, at least the last nine, 10 years of the boomers, is redefining retirement because We are not interested necessarily in riding off into the sunset and playing golf. I mean, we might want to play golf, but we're not necessarily interested in in riding off with our gold watch and our separation package. We feel more healthy and more vibrant and more intelligent, more able to give than we ever have in history. We are not necessarily reluctant to give up power as much as we're reluctant to give up purpose. And we are keeping up technologically, as evidenced by the number of individuals in our age bracket that are turning around and starting their own companies after the age of, you know, 55, 60, starting podcasts like yourself, investing in new startups volunteering and or starting nonprofits, we have a lot more to give. And so retirement doesn't mean the same thing as it used to. So that's one thing. Another thing that we're struggling with is staying technologically relevant. So unless you have direct access or a direct need for technology, 
it's very, very easy to get left behind with the latest and greatest. It's hard to even know with the amount of technology that is barreling down upon us what to pay attention to and what to not pay attention to. So where we allocate our attention, it's not even time anymore, it's our attention. Where we allocate our attention is very difficult to prioritize. So not having someone that you can trust to say, okay, dude, I don't personally have an interest in artificial intelligence, machine learning, et cetera. I don't personally have an interest in going down deep and getting into the weeds of this thing. I need someone who has that interest, who understands what where my interests lie and where my business wants to go, who can advise me, okay, this you need to pay attention to. This is just blah, 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 blah. You don't need to pay attention to that. So that's another thing that this generation is struggling with. A third is the tremendous clash in values, culturally as well as in business that we're dealing with. One of the things I do for individuals that I coach is sometimes I will put them into a program of of reverse mentoring where I will put a boomer with a Gen Z or a late millennial and call it in, in a reverse mentoring relationship. To set up that relationship, I will say, let's, let's both of you take a values assessment. That sets the stage for what values do we actually have in common? Because that is where we need to find common ground. And nine times out of 10, nine times out of 10 values we will have in common. Family, life purpose, etc. And it's only just a couple of things that we probably would not have in, in common. And so once when we build those kinds of relationships, the the mentoring and the coaching that can go back and forth between them actually makes it makes it a lot easier to bridge those gaps. So those are my top three, actually. Okay, excellent suggestions. I love them. They're very specific and well done. So we've heard for years, Julie, about the conflicts, issues, and I might add opportunities specific to what we've talked about four generations in the past, now five in the workforce. And a lot's changed in the last few years with COVID and remote workers and and now people getting back together. What thoughts do you have about how to maximize collaborating and being effective together and creating intergenerational organizations that are highly successful? What I have seen in a couple of the companies that I consult with as a change leader, the hybrid working model is really is really in its infancy. I've seen some missteps as well as I've seen some really good models working with. When they give the employees the opportunity to make choices, it has worked very well. However, there it's choices within guidelines, choices within boundaries. So there is the acknowledgement that there has to be some in-person interaction in order to create the sparks of innovation, those sparks of networking togetherness, the 
creativity and innovation that comes just along with, hey, I I hear you like old cars and vintage whatever. Me too. You know, those kinds of conversations that build relationships that form on a personal level, but then grow into professional level discussions and knowledge sharing. There needs to be a place for that. And so a couple of the things that the companies that I work with are doing is they are creating weeks in which an entire division or an entire group get together. And during those weeks, there are specific events that are happening like town halls, focus groups, employee resource group meetings. If there are specific division-wide projects that need to happen, those are held there. Coaching, for instance, one of the companies that I work, I'm coaching two high potential people within that group. And so we do face-to-face coaching during that week. I'm working on two other projects with, with that organization. So I meet face-to-face with, with the business owners of those projects. It just gives that, that face-to-face time that builds the relationship and the trust that you don't necessarily get over Zoom or, or whatever other teams, whatever medium that you have. When it comes to the generations getting together, one of the things that I have observed is that the companies that I'm working with, they have switched it up in these events so that it's not one generation. For instance, it's not the senior most people doing all of the presentations. It is a mixture of, so there may be a senior most person and a junior person together giving a demonstration about a project that is, is ongoing or they have a win, or it might be a, a brand new person or an intern who comes in and does a presentation to give them some exposure and that sort of thing. I have also observed more formal mentoring programs that have come out of COVID because the younger generations are almost demanding those. I'm glad they have that kind of sense to <laughs> to seek help and mentoring. Good for them. I mean, we all need it. It's really cool, too, because the older generations are seem to be the ones that really crave that in-person feel more than the younger generations. And they're more open now, it feels like, than they were in the past to doing the mentoring. And so it, it kind of worked. Um, it worked both ways. Okay, well, let's uh, shift gears here a little bit. Good ideas on that, on ways to net and maximize the opportunity together and minimize the conflicts. And we're all in this together. So those kind of recommendations of building relationships and trust and discussing, just great, knowing each other's backgrounds. We have lived in an extraordinary time and are living in an extraordinary time, an absolute explosion of technology. In 1984, when I was a young man, there was no internet, of course. And I remember buying a a compact computer, which was like a sewing machine kit. And I actually would take it on the plane with me and the keyboard would fold out of the bottom and it had this little teeny screen with a floppy disk. Now look at what we have. And with our devices, we all have and we can communicate around the world instantly. 
how do people stay up with all the changes? I, I think I downloaded three new apps yesterday alone. So how do people stay up with this explosion of technology, this change that's going on? I mean, today, Julie and I are using a new platform for podcasts. It's fun. How do we stay ahead of all this and use it to our advantage and and not spin our wheels? So let me ask you this. How did you hear about this new platform? How did you learn it? Did you have eight hours of training or did you go to YouTube and look it up? (laughs) Yeah, you bet. Well, that's a great question. Well, Jenny Media, our support system for doing podcasts who are amazing, we had a our annual review, and they said, you really ought to try Riverside, a different platform from what we were using, Zoom, and which is has its applications, of course. And so I looked at YouTube. I set it up and went over it, and then I practiced it last night with my daughter, and I was mentioning this to Julie just a few <laughs> minutes ago. I did a podcast for my four-year-old granddaughter, Remy, and seven-year-old granddaughter, Jocelyn. And so I interviewed them. It was so fun. And then it was a six-minute show. I sent them the recording, and it worked great. So good question. It was recommended. Went to YouTube, looked at their stuff. Absolutely. And I think for the vast majority of individuals who want to stay up to speed, it's not the actual technology that we're staying up to speed with. It's what is the most critical element is our sense of curiosity and our sense of what do I need? So, for instance, I'm not a podcaster, so I'm not going to go look for a podcasting software, right? But I am someone who is creating a new community within an organization that it needs kind of a a cool new startup. It needs a hangout space. It needs a way to encourage and entice a new generation of people, of data scientists actually, to come and give ideas for this new community. So I experienced in another group that I'm part of, a technology called Toucan, which is easy peasy to set up. And so I tested it with my, co- my colleague and we're going to host a hangout. So how did I learn about it? I experienced it somewhere else. I looked it up on YouTube. <laughs> you know, I had my assistant go out, buy it 50 bucks, test it. We tested it on our, our phone call and now I'm going to test it or launch it within this company next week, get approval and we're going to see what happens. The thing about it is I'm going to have an open mind about it. My business uh, client is very curious. I know he's going to be all over it. He likes new shiny things and we're going to get some value out of it. If he was set in his ways, he would not allow that kind of experimentation. So he would be missing out on an opportunity to engage more than 400 data scientists in a networking experience that would lead to furthering his program. That's how you do it. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, that's great. 
Well, let's just think about this. One of the things I know you have a passion for, and I do too, happen to share it, we do, I'd say, is leaving a legacy, a lasting positive legacy for themselves and for their organization. And so as we wrap up today, what are some tips that you can give that helps people, leaders of anything, a sports team, a business entity or organization, or even a family? What can they do to leave a leaders to leave a lasting legacy? Number one is to define what that means to you. Because legacy can mean different things to different people. For some, it could mean leaving uh, enough wealth for generations of their family to, you know, have an easy life. For others, it could mean leaving a business that could self-sustain for years to come. For others, it could mean leaving an impact on a group of people for a long period of time. For others, it could mean simply leaving an impact on their family as, as in, or on their community, as in, I want to leave a, a library in my name or something like that. So determine what that is for yourself, number one. And then number two, decide what are those steps that you need to take to make that happen. And then take a look at how am I being now and is my being and acting now going to fulfill that legacy. So if I'm doing or being something now that is in direct opposition, for instance, if I'm being too controlling, if I'm fighting against social media marketing, my business is going to die. That's just the bottom line of it. If I'm fighting that, am I getting in the way of my own leaving my own legacy? If I am resistant to hand off responsibility to the next generation or my successor, am I getting in the way of leaving my legacy? If I'm an entrepreneur and I'm not considering selling my business, I'm considering that I am my business and I'm determined that I'm going to close my business, am I leaving money on the table, essentially? Am I letting my business die with me? And is that the right choice to make for my children, my family, or my successor, or my community? Am I leaving some a hole in my community? Because my community depends on the revenue from my business. A lot of people don't think about that because they identify too closely with the business being themselves. So those are the kinds of questions that I like to, to reflect on with my clients as they're considering these things. It's not just about you. It's about everything surrounding that business. The business is separate from you. And then if you are leaving a corporation, obviously it's what has your impact been on your customers? What impact have you had on the world? Or what impact have you had on your profession? So for instance, if you're a finance professional or an HR professional or an IT professional, have you had an impact in your chosen profession even? Is there something that you want to leave there as well? You want to write a book? Do you want to do some research? Consider what it is that you want to leave as part of that legacy and then look at your list 
and determine if you're making the right choices and you have the right things on your task list to get that done. If not, what do we need to clear? Okay, well, that's excellent. Good job. Well, it's been so fun. We're at the end of our interview. Julie, how can people find out about what you're doing? Via LinkedIn, for sure. All you have to do is search for me, Julie Noonan, you'll find me. And then I have a website, jnoonanconsulting.com. Oh, perfect. It's been so fun having you with us. Thanks for your ideas. And I love the fact that there's a transcript that goes with this interview because Julie has really given us today, our wonderful listeners, a number of really fantastic ideas that can be used. So we wish you the best in all that you're doing, Julie. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate your having me on. You bet. And to all of our listeners, we honor you. We're grateful for you. And we wish you all the best as you're making a difference every single day and leaving the world a better place. This is Steve Schallenberger with Becoming Your Best Global Leadership, wishing you a great day. Thank you for listening to the Becoming Your Best podcast. If there was something in this podcast that you felt would be helpful for a family member, a friend, or even a coworker, we invite you to share this podcast with them now while you're thinking about it. Also, remember to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Now, for additional resources and tools, such as how to join our monthly peak performance coaching program, or how to get certified as a trainer or coach, or schedule a workshop or keynote, you can visit our website at becomingyourbest.com. We're here to provide you and your team with the resources, tools, and content to achieve your greatest potential. So thank you for listening, and have a wonderful day and a great week.